Welcome to the hashtag Faring Pod. At Faring, people come first. My name is Zoya Mabuto Muguditwa, and you know, in this episode, we are going to be discussing diagnosed with prostate cancer. What are the next steps? And I'm joined uh, in the conversation today by urologist Dr. Yuhu Fanamerva, uh, who is in private practice based in Pretoria, uh, South Africa. A warm welcome to you, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Zoya. Thank you for having us. And maybe, Doctor, just to kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about you know, your practice or your occupation. What does it entail? I'm a urologist based in private practice, as you said. Uh, graduated in Pretoria, pre-graduate, and then went on to Bloemfontein, where I specialized in urology and spent some time in the academics there. In uh, 2011, I moved to the urology hospital in Pretoria, where I started a private practice and still working there. Thank you so much, doctor. So I think we are in good hands to be having this conversation together about prostate cancer. And I think, you know, I think back to about a couple of years back when I was working for an organization who actually started the Daredevil Run. And I know that the Daredevil Run was really about promoting awareness of, of prostate cancer. Ever since then, I think I've become aware that there has been increasing awareness and conversations around prostate cancer. And maybe just as we start the conversation, you know, why do you think this is the case? Uh, Zoya, I believe this is due to uh, companies uh, investing and organizations promoting the awareness. We know that prostate cancer is a very common diagnosis in men around the world. There are several initiatives Mm. to make men more aware of prostate cancer. This is a disease that is very curable in the early stages. And if we detect it early enough, really shouldn't affect our patient's lifespan. Mm. We might have been lagging a little bit behind. Uh, We know in Europe and America, we have had things like November, uh, Movember for for many years. Uh, I'm glad that we're catching up. We can really make a difference in our patients' lives if we pick this disease up at an early stage. I think it is encouraging to see that men are also joining some of these conversations. I know that, you know, when one thinks about the African culture, there often is the sense that some of these topics are very taboo and we don't talk about them. So I'm happy that we're having the conversation. Let's start with, you know, what is prostate cancer? So for somebody who's listening, they've heard a little bit about it, but just high level, what is prostate cancer, doctor? So cancer by definition is a tumor that grows and spreads. Prostate cancer obviously is a cancer or a malignant growth then of the prostate gland specifically, therefore specific to men, and it is, like we said, a very common problem. Okay. So in, in having the conversation about, you know, I've now been diagnosed with prostate cancer, what are the next steps? Let's talk a little bit about some of the symptoms associated with prostate cancer. What do we need to look out for? Zoya, the reason for the awareness is that early disease does not have any symptoms. It is a silent thief in your house. By the time we develop symptoms, this disease has already progressed to an advanced stage. Therefore, early disease has no symptoms. The reason why we encourage young men to have themselves tested or screened, as we call it in the medical world. Later symptoms would be that of having trouble passing urine, maybe blood in the urine. And in really advanced cases, even things like back pain. 
So, so in the absence of uh, symptoms, you talk about recommending or advising uh, that you know men, young men, go for screening or testing. Talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, are we talking about somebody who's in their teens? When would one typically start to go for this kind of testing or screening? Uh, in the days when I was a younger doctor as well, we were traditionally taught that men should start screening at the age of 50 years and then do it yearly. Uh, in modern times, we've adjusted that a little bit. We advise men actually start earlier, especially African men, probably at the age to f- of 40 to 45. And the screening is done by a little blood test we call the PSA test, unfortunately accompanied by a physical examination of the prostate. And we'll talk a little bit more about these tests that are performed to determine whether one, you know, is susceptible to or has, um, you know, prostate cancer. But you mentioned something about you want to encourage particularly African men. I want to ask why. For poorly understood reasons, prostate cancer is more prevalent in African men than in uh, Caucasian men or Eastern men. And therefore, it is a big burden on our healthcare system and obviously for our patients in, in all African countries, including South Africa. I mean, it's interesting. I don't want to get controversial here, but a couple of um, very well-known political figures come to mind now that you've just mentioned that. Okay, so doctor, let's talk about, about the tests that, that then would be performed. So you speak about, you said, I think it was a PSA That's screening. Right. Just help me to better understand what, what would typically happen if somebody goes for this PSA test or screening. So PSA is a blood test performed, a very simple test. PSA uh, is an abbreviation for prostate-specific antigen. This is a protein that men excrete in our blood. And these levels can help us gauge the risk of having or developing even prostate cancer in the future. So this is a very simple test. It's a blood-based test. It needs to be run through a laboratory, but this is uh, highly recommended. And even in modern times, we recommend that this be accompanied with a physical examination Hmm. where the doctor will use his finger to feel the prostate. doesn't sound very attractive but anyway so doctor somebody goes in for this this PSA test or screening uh, you know the diagnosis is that or something is detected um, in that blood test take me through you know what what stage would prostate cancer normally be detected in other words you've done this PSA screening what determines if a person then has got prostate cancer that's also a very good question thank you Zoya Uh, neither the blood test nor the finger test can uh, confirm the presence of prostate cancer. We can have suggestions of prostate cancer. Uh After these tests are performed and we are worried about the results, this would be followed by a a simple x-ray of the prostate, a so-called MRI of the prostate, which will give us information as to the size and susceptibility of any lesions in the gland. And then we follow by performing a biopsy. A biopsy is a, a procedure that we perform. We use a needle to take a small piece of the prostate tissue that gets sent off to the laboratory for analysis. And on this biopsy, we can then either confirm or rule out the presence of cancer. And let's imagine that we then, you know, the biopsy results come back or in that biopsy we're able to determine that a person does have prostate cancer. What are some of the things that a healthcare professional typically would do after 
you know, one receives that diagnosis. Not all cancers are created equally. <laughs> what we need to do is we need to, uh, what we call risk stratify our patients. We need mm. to determine whether this cancer uh, is a risk to our patient's health. Um, in determining the risk that a cancer holds to a patient, we must always look at two different factors. We must look at the cancer factors. This would be the aggressiveness of the disease and also the volume of disease that is present. On the other hand, we must remember that we're working with uh, human beings or patients, and we must also look at our patient profile. What is the general health? What is the comorbidities that might be present? What is the life expectancy likely to be? Mm. Just to go back to some of the, the work that the healthcare professional does after this diagnosis has been made or received, what are the different types of specialists a person would then be required to, to see uh, once they've received the diagnosis? So once we have confirmed the diagnosis, it would be important, according to the risk factors as we discussed, mm. to determine whether there's a risk that the cancer has spread already, in which case we would proceed to do further x-ray investigations to evaluate this. Prostate cancer is treated by two different specialists, uh, urologists like myself and oncologists or cancer doctors. Determined by the stage of the disease, one or both of these specialists might be necessary in further treatment. So doctor, I want to go back to this, this concept of determining the risk factor, because I think it's important. I'm, I'm understanding you to say that it is not always necessary for next steps to be taken based on what we're able to understand or to uncover from the risk factors. I want us to unpack that a little bit more. So I get this, this diagnosis, uh, uh, you know, or, or the, the man <laughs> gets the diagnosis. I can't get it. Uh, and then after that, um, the healthcare professional, the doctor like yourself, would, would determine what the risk factors are, and you've already shared with us some of the things that you'd be looking at there. Is it possible for somebody to have a diagnosis and to not need to, to come see a doctor again or not need any sort of like extensive um, treatment? Is it possible for, for that to happen? Certainly. I just want to better understand. It feels like... <laughs> I, I get the question completely, and I think that is very important. I would like to stress this point is, as I briefly mentioned, not all cancers are equal. Mm. If we accept that prostate cancer is basically a function of age, meaning that if we men grow old enough, we all will develop prostate cancer, mm -hmm. uh, we, can, we also know that only about 4% of men die from prostate cancer. Therefore, not all of prostate cancers are dangerous to our health. Mm -hmm. uh, in years gone by, in the early 2010s, there was a big awareness on this, is that and or not detecting prostate cancer has a big risk to our patients. If it should spread, it could cause significant harm. In modern days, we understand that not all of these cancers need treatment. Mm. There is a large amount of prostate cancers, which we call indolent, meaning very sleepy or very weak cancers, that we can just monitor. The challenge to doctors or professionals treating prostate cancer 
is that we must determine what is the risk to our patient. Sometimes the cancer holds a great risk to the patient, in which case we certainly need to act in order to improve our patient's quality and quantity of life. In certain circumstances, the doctor might hold a bigger risk than the, or than the cancer itself. Sometimes our advice would be that, yes, there is a very small amount of very early cancer present, and we would monitor, although very carefully, but we could only monitor this disease, and we don't have to expose our patient to any form of treatment whatsoever. Okay, so I love that, and I think for me you've assisted in terms of my own clarity. So let's have a look very quickly at the monitoring of that indolent or indolent uh, cancer. So if we're talking about monitoring, what does it mean for the person who's received the diagnosis, but where we've been able to establish that this isn't high risk? What does that look like in terms of the monitoring? Or is it, is it frequent visits to the doctor? What does it mean when we talk about monitoring them? So I think, uh, once again, an excellent question. I'm really enjoying the talk. <laughs> <laughs> monitoring, although we know that we should monitor, uh, like I said, quite a large amount of prostate cancer, there is a little bit of a discrepancy in uh, the advice from our uh, medical bodies, the different medical associations, we can monitor with four so-called triggers. First trigger being a physical trigger, or when that which we examine the prostate gland with. We can sometimes feel there's a lump present now which wasn't there before, okay. or a lump that is increasing in size. A very useful monitoring device is the PSA blood test. We monitor these levels at a fairly frequent uh, intervals. We do have x-rays, as we said specifically the MRI, mm. and from time to time we will advise uh, repeating the biopsy to see that the nature of the cancer has not changed. Although you will uh, find different protocols uh, in different guidelines, it is usually advised for the first few years to mm. monitor the blood test at least at a three-monthly basis, physical examination likely on a six-monthly basis, so not as frequent, luckily. Mm. Uh, imaging we would repeat on a six-monthly to a yearly basis, and the biopsy likely not too frequent, maybe once, once a year or even less. Okay. Thank you. And, and, and maybe let's move to the riskier type of uh, prostate cancer and and my question there is what would you know some of the treatment options then become what are the treatment options available to somebody who has been diagnosed with a more riskier type of prostate cancer so accepting that we get a variety of prostate cancers <laughs> from indolent to very aggressive luckily in 2023 we have several treatment options available to us from monitoring for the really early cancers, as we've mentioned. We have radiotherapy in several different ways where we irradiate the gland. Certainly as a urologist, I must mention that we have surgery. In some cases, we would remove the prostate gland. And the really exciting part is that we have at present have an explosion of new medical treatments available to us that we can use. Uh, chemotherapy shouldn't be forgotten in the really advanced cases we use chemotherapy usually in combination with medical treatment but today we really have a toolbox with many different tools in it 
in which to treat each patient individually. I mean, I think that's impressive. You mentioned a number of treatment options, and I want to make the assumption, and you can correct me here, that the treatment option that would be used or that you would decide to, to go for would be dependent on the type of prostate cancer that you're dealing with. As I said, there's two factors. We need to look at the cancer factors, the type, the aggressiveness, the stage of the prostate cancer. But we must never forget to look at our patient as well. As I said, comorbidities, age, uh, life expectancy, and our patient's wishes should be respected. So the job of a modern urologist or oncologist treating prostate cancer is to explain to our patient what is the risk of your cancer, what we would expect uh, or determine to be a life expectancy, offer them the choices, and at the end of the day, our patient should make a well-informed decision. Can we look at an example? So can we, can we come up with a hypothetical example? Because I'm struggling a little bit to grasp the, the marriage between the type of cancer and, and this person who might present with comorbidities or, I don't know, they're, they're a little bit older, etc. So can you just help to bring the two together and, and link it to the type of treatment a doctor like yourself would recommend? Certainly. I would like to use two examples. If we have a very young patient with a very early prostate cancer, we can advise this gentleman, should he commit to a careful follow-up program, that we can watch it, possibly for many years before he needs definitive or curative treatment. Mm -hmm. Should we find the same type of cancer in an elderly, sickly patient, we can reassure that the gentleman that this disease will not catch up with him in his lifetime and we can maybe monitor him less frequently. Should we find, as a second example, an aggressive cancer in the younger patient, we need to offer this patient a solution to his prostate cancer that can last 20 or 30 years, and we would look at more aggressive treatment frequently, a combination of the treatments that we, that we mentioned before. Should we find the same aggressive cancer in an older or a more sickly patient, we certainly wouldn't expose them to unnecessary treatment and we can frequently monitor or manage this disease in a more conservative ma uh, manner. Mm. Does that answer your question? It's, it, I mean, it answers my question perfectly. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think it can aid with clarity, even for the person who, who is listening, uh, really understanding that you get these different types of prostate cancer. I mean, I appreciate, uh, you know, I think developments in healthcare that continue to prioritize the patient. And so I appreciate that, you know, it, it does go to some extent on a patient-by-patient -patient basis, what you present with in respect of your age, in respect of comorbidities, have you been ill before, are there other risk factors uh, that, that need to be taken into consideration? So I think I'm clear. <laughs> Let's talk about a situation where we find ourselves in a worst case scenario. So this is, you know, this is a prostate cancer that's very advanced, uh, you know, and, and perhaps some of these treatment options we've discussed are not viable or not suitable. What does is, what is the term prostatectomy, you know, refer to? What are we talking about there? So prostatectomy means surgery to the prostate gland should be fair to just remind our listeners here that we can do reduction in the size of the gland for gentlemen with age-related problems of the prostate. If we talk about prostate cancer, as we do, 
Then the prostatectomy term would be use, we use would be a radical prostatectomy. This is where we remove the gland in its entirety. This is uh, this surgery has also developed quite a lot in the last ten or fifteen years. We've got several different modalities that we can offer our patients today. Uh, so we have progressed from open surgery to so-called keel surgery to robotic surgery, which is luckily becoming more and more readily available to our patients. This is a, a cure that we would advise to our younger patients with a more aggressive form of prostate cancer, as it certainly holds the best chance of a long-term cure. Yeah. So, so it's it's the removal of the gland, and I'm I'm now starting to think about some of the stigmas that typically tend to be associated when we talk about removal of of something. Of course, I'm a woman, and I'm trying to make the association to say like a breast cancer. And when somebody comes back and they say I've had to have you know my breast removed, and some of the stigma around that kind of thing, is it is it does it apply in the same way to removal of your prostate gland? I think there's very very much similarities between the two conditions of breast cancer and prostate cancer. Men are frequently afraid of losing their manhood in inverted mm. commas. This is where technology really comes to help us out, where the surgery used to have good oncological outcomes, meaning that we could cure the cancer with this uh, operation in the past this operation was certainly associated with lots of problems, lack of potency, even urinary leakage afterwards. Mm. With the technology that we have today, as I said, keel surgery as well as ultimately robotic surgery, these side effects or fears of the cancer can frequently be negated mm. and our patients not only are cured from cancer, but are also usually quite happy afterwards. <laughs> okay, I mean, I think that's 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 affirming to hear. I want to go back to I want to go back to the treatment options we've discussed, and I know that you continue to to emphasize the fact that I mean, this type of cancer presents. I mean, these different types mm. of prostate cancer. I'm curious about whether there is prevalence of one over many others. Uh, so one that repeatedly shows up. So that's the first part of my question. And secondly, whether in terms of treatment itself, there is a particular preferred method of treatment. And the reason is because in some of the research and the reading I was doing, the word that came up repeatedly was, and forgive me if I don't pronounce this correctly, is it brachytherapy? Brachytherapy is an excellent way to treat prostate cancer. Brachytherapy is a way to treat prostate cancer via radiation. Traditionally, radiation was performed, and maybe just if I can take one step back, radiation is in essence where we burn the prostate cancer. It is x-rays that are focused on the prostate gland and then kills the cancer cells. The traditional form of radiation takes a while. It's a treatment that is performed over a period of usually over six weeks, and especially in younger uh, professional men, the timing of this might be problematic. Therefore, quite popular in South Africa, but in many places around the world, is brachytherapy. In brachytherapy, we place little radioactive seeds into the prostate, and these radioactive seeds then 
provides the radiation that kills the cancer cells. The advantage of this treatment is that it's a single procedure. It's a very quick procedure, and usually it is done as a day case or in the worst case scenario as an overnight. So it is a treatment with the, which is easily provided. There's not many risks involved in providing this uh, treatment, and it is certainly effective. Brachytherapy is preferred, once again, in more early cases, low-risk uh, low prostate cancer. We can use it in more advanced uh, stages of prostate cancer, but then we combine it frequently with medical treatment or even with conventional radiation. So just like in the toolbox I was referring to, we can't hit everything with a hammer. Brachytherapy certainly has a place in the treatment of prostate cancer, likely in the earlier stages of this disease. So, so there is relative success with it. It is popular, I suppose, because there is success. But more importantly, that you're saying to me, it's a quick procedure with very little risk sort of factors involved, etc. I want to, to to move away from some of these treatment options. I think uh, I think we've explored these uh, sufficiently, and I want to explore the term remission. Okay, and and I want us to talk about. So you go through the treatment, uh, you're able to to reduce, and and again, you'll help my terminology here but you're able to significantly reduce uh, those cancerous cells that have developed in the prostate and get to the place where maybe the cancer is no longer detected. I want to understand what is remission, and if you're somebody who's had prostate cancer before, is there some sort of guarantee that the cancer would not come back? I really like that question. If you look at the uh, Cambridge Dictionary, the word remission initially meant either a reduction in a prison sentence or the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> in medical terms, remission means that there is no clinical evidence of the disease being present anymore. Mm. It's easy to think in terms of other conditions such as flu or pneumonia where we treat the condition, our patients improve and we don't find any clinical evidence. It is a common term used in cancer treatment. Mm. In cancer treatment, it means that we find no clinical evidence that the cancer is present at that moment in time. Is there any guarantees that the cancer can never come back? They certainly, unfortunately, is not. <laughs> but we do have this very useful blood test in prostate cancer. PSA test, we don't only use to determine the risk of cancer being present, but we also use it after cancer treatment in whatever form where it really becomes a very accurate test. Should the cancer be in remission, the PSA test is negative. And if the PSA test then starts to rise again after treatment, that would unfortunately be a sign that the cancer has recurred. Mm. And, and I mean, I make the assumption again that uh, if, if somebody is in remission, there is a monitoring phase that would necessarily follow. So what does that look like? Is it, is it this person coming in weekly to see the doctor, the urologist? Is it monthly visits to the doctor? What's the monitoring following somebody getting or moving to the place where the cancer is in remission? The risk of the cancer recurring 
decreases as time passes after treatment, irrespective mm. of which treatment we, uh, the patient chose or we advise. Mm. Initially, uh, we monitor more carefully. So usually in the first two years, likely on a three-monthly basis. But as time moves on and the risk of the occurrence of the disease decreases, we do that on a six-monthly and even later on a yearly basis. We advise that patients follow up on uh, their cancer treatment for a period of 10 years after their treatment, as and after which time we stop as the risk of the cancer recurring more than 10 years after successful treatment mm. is really very minimal. And and there's a question I should have asked earlier, but I didn't ask. Is the urologist the person? So would I need to, or would the men, I keep saying myself, would 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 a man need to seek out, uh, you know, help from a specialist, a urologist, or would, uh, you know, initial visits just be to to a regular GP? This would very much depend on where our patient present. Mm. In the ideal world, patients would be seen by both a urologist and an oncologist. A little something that we started at the urology hospital is an advanced oncology center where we share offices and we hope to offer our patients that ideal scenario. If the cancer is detected in an early stage and we treat it with curative intent with radiation or surgery, patients should be comfortable with the urologist. If the patient presents at a more advanced stage where the cancer is spread and we need things like uh, Mm. chemotherapy or radiation therapy, Usually, this would be done, the treatment would be given and the follow-up be performed by an oncologist. They should be, irrespective of which way we go, there must be clear line of communication and a good relationship between your urologist and your oncologist. It could sometimes be managed by either, and mm. it ideally should likely be managed by both. Okay, and and just for sort of your regular ongoing screening, um, I don't know if I'm thumb sucking here, but is there is there no small device like a little device that you purchase at like a pharmacy that you can use uh, every so often? I don't know where I get this. Am I making this up? <laughs> Talking about cancer screening. Yeah, like a like mm. a like a. I, I'm just going back to the daredevil run, mm. and I just remember that the biggest thing was. Uh, here's a little device or here's something that you can use just to, 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 to uh, I don't know, to screen or to test. There, there has been several attempts around the world of having more commercial forms of uh, prostate cancer screening by either little uh, drops of blood tests uh, with home devices or even in urinary markers on urine tests. These are, have, however, up to date, not stood the test of time. They're currently not recommended by any of the larger uh, academic bodies. But it is hopefully something that will come in the future. So doctor recommends that you go to your doctor? Urologist <laughs> recommends that you go to your GP. They can perform this test. And if there's any warning signs, any abnormalities, mm. you should be referred to your urologist at that stage. Okay, great. So you, you've heard that you know, it's all about that visit to your GP. And in the event that um, you know, something is detected, uh, that they pick up 
uh, that you need to see somebody who's a specialist, your GP would then advise uh, that you take that next step. I think it's important to have the clarity around these things. Sometimes you have things opening in the market and all sorts of uh, commercially viable products that promise to do things they don't do. And so it's important to also just uh, be very clear about, about what doctors are saying um, in respect to some of these things. Doctor, we're going to come to, to, to an end uh, of the conversation, but I think for me, I wanted to ask the question, and I think you and I are both very cognizant of some of the, and I'll talk about the South African context, uh, some of the social and traditional sort of, uh, you know, challenges and issues. So, so men who, who say, I, this, is, this is now moving into that place where uh, I'm going to have to talk about my manhood, etc. Uh, and, and people don't go for screen, they don't go and test. Uh, what happens in instances where somebody, you know, says, I'm not going to go to a doctor and the prostate cancer develops and is left untreated? What happens there? Unfortunately, not an uncommon occurrence uh, around the world, but even more so in, in Africa and in South Africa as well. These gentlemen do present at some stage to the healthcare system. Unfortunately, frequently with spread of the disease where the cancer has spread out of the prostate land. Prostate cancer has a few favorite destinations it likes to spread to. The bony skeleton, the bones in the human body is one. Hmm. This can be quite a painful experience. And in uh, certain circumstances, it can spread to vital bones, like, for instance, the spine. And in really neglected cases, could present with something like paralysis, mm. which is very sad and unnecessary. Another favorite uh, spot where the prostate cancer spread to is the lungs. And if we have these cancer uh, balls growing in the lungs, patients could suffer from respiratory problems locally where the prostate is situated, it could invade the bladder or the bowel, and these patients can present with struggle to pass urine, blood in the urine or the bowel. Mm. And this is all very serious, and I think for me it emphasizes the importance of those regular uh, screenings, and I think you did say that, you know, there are, you know, a couple of, of, of risk factors. You did speak to African men. You did say from a certain age, uh, you know, young boys becoming men, as it were, um, should start to go for those, uh, you know, screening tests on the regular. So, Doctor, let me ask you, you know, what avenues of support do you recommend that patients should, you know, seek out to help them? You know, in the event that they've been diagnosed, in the event that this is something that's that's become a part of their lives, you know, where where do they go for for some kind of I don't know, uh, you know, support navigating having received a diagnosis that says you have prostate cancer? To me, this is something I feel very passionate about. In the twenty years I've been involved in urology, I can say that I see a lot of growth in our country, that we see a lot more talking. How do we take the stigma out of something is talk about it. Mm. To the individual patients listening out there today, there's multiple uh, support groups. The internet has made the world a very small place. I recommend having a, a Google prostate support groups. There's a few excellent popping up. I also advise not lending your ears to anybody. Go and have a look at websites. The American Urological Association, the European Urological Association, uh, ASCO or the American Society of Clinical Oncology, and ESMO or the Euro 
European Society of Medical Oncology all have excellent websites with patient-dedicated areas explaining uh, condition and treatment options in layman's terms. Mm. I always refer my patients to these websites. They're readily available, and I think it does a lot to inform our patients. Taking the stigma out, as you mentioned before, means bringing something to the conversation. Support the daredevil runs, support, <laughs> support November. Gentlemen must speak to each other. Mm. It's not a comfortable topic. It's a topic that we like to avoid if possible, but it causes the stigma to stay. And talking, exploring, knowing that there is help available certainly goes a long way. I am going to pick on you, Doctor. So, so, so you're saying gentlemen should have the conversation amongst themselves. And now I sort of was transported to a dinner party or a braai. I was transported to men at a braai. How do you even start that conversation? <laughs> I think surprising things happen at a braai. I'm not sure about the dinner party. I don't think we'll ever be comfortable discussing this in front of our ladies or our partners. <laughs> But we do have times when we get together mm. and instead of ignoring problems, we should be men mm. and say, let's face this, this, let's discuss this. I myself might not be quite comfortable with that, but as I said, in the 20 year of doing urology, I find that more and more men come in and say, but we did discuss this mm. at the Obrai or the rugby or the soccer and, and I want to be checked. I mean, I, I love that. And I think often we think that this is just my problem or, you know, this hasn't happened to others. And I think that's what conversations do. The power of conversation is that you realize that actually I'm not alone. Uh, you know, one person shares and another person says, I've had a scare or my son has had a scare. And, and that's why it's important to have the conversation. So if you're sitting at the braai watching your rugby uh, or your soccer, uh, this is South Africa, uh, you know, we, we do encourage that you have those conversations. And I think I appreciated the input about uh, really become informed. So arm yourself with knowledge using various platforms, uh, Google those support groups, uh, really look at, uh, you know, websites of institutes that focus on this. So the urological, uh, I think, institute in America and the UK, you mentioned quite a number. Uh, but really arm yourself with the information. Doctor, as we wrap it up, parting words from you uh, to our listeners. It's really been an insightful conversation. Uh, what would you like to leave our listeners with? If I may, maybe a couple of thoughts. I think to the young men out there, from 40, have yourself checked. It is my life philosophy that we are only afraid of things we don't know or we don't understand. Have yourself checked. No. To the guys that has the unfortunate diagnosis of actually having prostate cancer, inform yourself well. Speak to your urologist, speak to your oncologist. Go and visit the websites as we know. And lastly, to those unfortunate gentlemen, yes, we can help. This is not an incurable disease. It is something that modern medicine can assist with. And there is always hope. 
There is always hope. This is not an incurable disease. And on that note, I do want to say thank you very much, Dr. Fanamerva, uh, joining us uh, to have this conversation around prostate cancer. I think it has been very informative, uh, Doctor. Thank you, and I think you also have just managed to really bring it home, giving us those examples as well. So it really has been a pleasure on my side. Thank you very much. It's been my privilege. Thank you very much for having. Thank you for listening to the hashtag Faring Pod. Join the conversation by following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube under Faring South Africa. Have you been diagnosed with IBD? Download the Faring IBD Health Diary app today. The Faring IBD Health Diary app is available on the Apple App Store and the Android Google Play Store.